0: Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM for their continued support of Diversity Podcast publishing and promoting both our episodes and supporting our blog series, so their readers can stay on top of the very latest diversity and inclusion debate. You may also want to check out City AM's own podcast called The City View, for all the latest news and opinion from the city, because we at Diversity Podcast are huge fans. Now in the series we don't talk nearly enough about disability and particularly in the context of what's been happening with Covid and organisational structures as we think about returning to the office. And this episode is timed to coincide with the Paralympics and we welcome insights, perspective and advice from two important voices, Sophie Christiansen CBE and Christiana Link. Now, as you'll know, in Series 11, we're actively seeking input from voices around the world and to bring in two guests sometimes doesn't always work time zone wise, but never to be deterred. This episode is a two part interview and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Sophie Christensen CBE. Sophie Christensen is a British dressage rider who has competed in four successive Paralympic Games and is currently an eight-time Paralympic champion and has won multiple world and European titles. In 2016, following her success at the Rio Paralympics, she was placed fifth in the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year, the highest-placed female and para-athlete. Sophie was born two months prematurely with cerebral palsy and suffered from other health problems, including jaundice, blood poisoning, a heart attack, and a collapsed lung. At age six she started riding for physiotherapy at the local Riding for the Disabled Association group and tracked forward from there and she first competed at the Paralympics age 16, the youngest athlete for Great Britain at the Athens Paralympics in 2004 where she won a bronze medal. But not just an athlete, Sophie also graduated with a first-class master's degree in mathematics from Royal Holloway, University of London, in 2011. And today, she works as a software developer at the investment bank Goldman Sachs. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm so looking forward to this discussion. And as I always ask our first guest, you know, in in that mix, um, I'm really keen to hear what you're focused on right now.
1: Yeah, well... I knew that I needed to get a job uh, for, to fund my sport. I, my sport is the most expensive a sport you could have, funding and looking after horses. So from a young age, I kind of knew that if I was to continue elite sport, I'd have to do it alongside Working, and I think that has given me a really, really great platform to speak about my two different lives. You know, I love being a software developer because it gives that element of flexibility not only to be able to keep training and competing, but also choose my disability. I can work from home, I can go into the office if I want, even before the pandemic. So being an eight-time Paralympic medalist, I think it's given me a lot of responsibility to speak about having a disability. Because we watch the Paralympics and see these amazing disabled athletes at the top of their game doing incredible things. But actually, the reality is, before we even get there, of having a disability, if the UK is so inaccessible and it's so important to speak about that. And I do feel disability is almost the forgotten
0: diversity group in the city. Well, there's so much in that I'm really keen to unpick. Well, first of all, let's start by the fact we don't talk about disability nearly enough. And I know you've had some thoughts about, you know, the Equality Act, for example, and within banking and finance, you know, given our audience's financial services as well, I'd love to hear your thoughts about when we say we're not talking about disability more, what would you like to see?
1: I just think the simple fact is it lack of knowledge and lack of our models, you know, there's a, a really big difference between Paralympians and the disability community, and we really need to showcase role models outside sport, so that's what I'm trying to do. Is there a perception that other diversity groups are easier to handle, you know, is it changing attitudes is that perceived as almost easier than doing the physical changes needed for physical disabilities. I think that is the perception. So when we look at disability, do we have the statistics? You know, we look at gender, fame, Looking at the statistics, does it show us something? Most disabled people don't disclose their disability because it's seen as a weakness. And just because we don't disclose disabilities doesn't mean that companies don't have a responsibility So can we learn from the stats that we have why don't we have disabled employees? Why don't we have disabled customers? We must be doing something wrong. Um, And, you know, examples of making, you know, life working as a disabled person We have so much content now. So you asked about the Equality Act, and to me, I feel the language, the legal language is not clear. You know, what is a reasonable adjustment for disabled employees or customers? And disabled people really don't want to go down the legal route. But I feel change is just not happening quick enough. So I feel we might have to. So is your company liable? I honestly don't know their answers to that. But obviously, your question, your company has to. Um, so, yeah... We don't want to use the Equality Act. Companies should make everything accessible for disabled people just off their own back. But I do feel in the UK, currently there's a few legal cases going going on because of inaccessible content. Do we have to go down that road? The force change. I hate saying that, but we might have to.
0: It'd be very interesting to see, you know, how organizations are well internally. In fact, I shall ask this question more often, inspired by your thoughts there, because um, you know, you would like to think that organizations are reading and taking the Equality Act as seriously as they might claim to in their marketing literature when they talk about accessibility and their attitude towards diversity and inclusion. But I think we should be holding organisations to greater account to demonstrate that actually this is fully accessible for all and disability is a very, very important angle to that.
1: Because the trouble with the Equality Act is just not enforced by our government, so businesses have been getting away with things for years and years and all of a sudden if a disabled customer comes along and says, wait a second, I can't get in your building, uh, it it should not come as as a surprise.
0: And I think we're at a really interesting sort of pivotal moment because if we think about, you know, the pandemic and we think about how people access financial services now, of course, so much of this is digital. So your point about, you know, can I get into a branch, but actually how I access banking and financial services has really undergone a massive change over the last year, particularly and i know that digital accessibility is something that's very sort of much at the forefront of your thinking and and how it makes the workplace financial services and day-to-day life better for uh, disabled people i'd love to hear your thoughts about you know how can digital platforms and financial services assist with better inclusion yes uh, the digital boom
1: if you like it, been a real lifesaver for People like me with physical disabilities, if I can't get into your box because you've got a step outside, I can do it online. But obviously, what if you're visually or hearing impaired? Can you access the same content? And I'm not just talking about your online, Apple, website, or even social media, but also internal communication. I've seen a lot more visual and audio content that there wasn't before. So, for example, if you were visually impaired, how do you access uh, photograph? Well, on on images, there's a tag called alt text, uh, which you can edit to describe the photograph. And a screen reader will read the alt text aloud or convert it to braille for people with visual impairments also videos if you're hearing impaired subtitles will help you access and it's not just like auto captioning you know facebook and youtube have auto alt text or auto captioning and quite often it's Nearly there, but not quite, especially as I find with my speech impairment, the auto captioning is all over the place. So it's so important for you to edit that kind of accessible feature yourself. And this is a perfect example of education because obviously I don't have any sensory impairments. I can see, I can hear, but I've educated myself on what it's like for other disabilities.
0: And it's important that we, that we do educate ourselves about other disabilities. And there is some really practical things. I'm just, while well, sitting here listening to you thinking, I think we should have a look at the diversity podcast content and hold ourselves to higher standards as well. But I think the internal communications as much as the external communications really matter. And I wonder to what degree that is being overlooked because people say we're doing it for our customers, but are we doing it for our staff? And I wonder if we could on that point, just talk about staff and talk about. Engagement, recruitment, and and also how do we motivate and inspire and retain a disabled talent in organisations as well? Let's start with the, the recruitment point of view. What can we be doing to improve our recruitment processes of bringing in disabled talent? And are there any sort of outlets and areas that businesses are still continuing to overlook?
1: Yeah, if you want to start with. What's the representation like on your website or social media? I think with That Lives Matters, there's been a big increase in seeing, you know, different ethnicity types on social media content. But what about disability? You know, is the wording you're putting out there going to attack disabled employees, for example, if you're saying, oh, after the pandemic, we're all going back into the office, that would put a person like me off from going for a job at your company because I really need that flexibility because commuting into London for me is Awful in my wheelchair. So, yeah, representation is absolutely key. When you look at your recruitment process, is it accessible? So, for example, if you have tests, do you supply extra time for some people going for it? Is your recruitment process accessible with screen readers? Do you advertise where disabled people can see what you're advertising? And also language, you know, if you're advertising a job role and you simply put, you know, we're open to making these kinds of arrangements, of disabled people to apply, I'm so much more likely to, to want to work for you. And so these are really simple things that I think often get over it. and also it's about knowledge of schemes that will help both the employer and employee. Like in the UK, we have a scheme called Access to Work, which will help find reasonable adjustments for disabled people to access work. And I think we need a lot of understanding about how starting somewhere new be full of uncertainties, you know, I've been to interviews where we've been told about graduates going to visit head office for a couple weeks, which sounds really exciting to a young, able-bodied, 21-year-old, but when you're disabled, you know, But what about me? I need a carer. How am I going to fund that? So it's that kind of level of understanding that will really help recruit more disabled people.
0: That's really interesting. And, and part of the feedback we get from a lot of listeners is how much they enjoy the opportunity to read links and read insights as well. And thinking about you know, where we can educate ourselves better. Are there any sort of books, documentaries, podcasts like ours uh, that you'd point people to where they can really kind of educate themselves better about disability and the steps they can take to drive change?
1: So there are loads of charities out there that help try and narrow the employment gap for disabled people. For example, Scope is a good one to offer help and advice. Also, I think, you know, Empathy is so key for everyone involved. You know, it's unreasonable to ask everyone to have the knowledge of every single disability on the planet. But just put yourself in their shoes. You know, for example, when you get into the office in the morning. Do you ever think about how much energy it's taken the person next to you just to get into the office, whether it's a mother trying to get get her two young children ready to get out the door, or it's a person in a wheelchair trying to get a ramp on a train taking you into work? Is... I do think quite often we just run our own little world half the time when we turn up to the office and it's so important to, you know, ask people how they are. Also, I'd really encourage people to follow disabled influencers on social media just to get some understanding of what it's like living with disabilities. You know, I said talking is the most important thing. Quite often, I see a lot of companies not ask the disabled person. So, for example, I got told the story of a guy in an electric wheelchair was coming to work for a company uh, and there were these, you know, getting ready for him, going round the office, just seeing what they could adapt. But they were able bodies, like they didn't even ask the disabled person coming in what they needed. We are experts on our own disability. And I don't think it's unreasonable
0: for us to say what we need. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's really fascinating. If I've learned anything over the last kind of however many years it's been of of interviewing people in the industry, it's like, you know, kind of never be afraid to ask, right? And I think your point about, we don't expect everybody to know everything. So therefore ask and truly listen. And your point about empathy is really sort of resonates because in the conversation about what leaders need, the skills that leaders need in terms of driving high-performing teams, returning financial performance, and that's really why diversity and inclusion matters because of its contribution. And certainly we know that in, in the world of financial services that you outperform. But it's so important to have the empathetic skills to be able to talk to your workforce about what they truly need every single day. Really important thoughts.
1: And I think, you know, that's so important, even if I'm not disabled, to have that level of empathy and care. It'll make your employees work work so much harder for you if you understand what they're going through. So yeah, not
0: just about disability. Everyone can benefit from from talking. Absolutely. So I've been thinking a lot about what the remainder of 2021 is going to hold, and particularly as we are navigating really interesting economic times. And I wonder to what degree DNI is going to fall down the corporate agenda. And it's a question I'm asking all our guests. I'd really love to hear from you about why it's essential that DNI remains high on the corporate agenda?
1: Yeah, obviously I've talked about a lot about what it's like to be a disabled employee, but what about your disabled customers? You know, we have money and we want to spend it. We want to help the world get out of this pandemic and help the economy grow, but we cannot help your business. If you don't let us, I think back to in the UK, we had COVID officers going around businesses, helping them, you know, make sure it was safe for their customers and employees because, you know, all these new rules coming in due to the pandemic. But why can't we have accessibility officers. We we have the same for health and safety officers as well. We, We kind of need, you know, I've spoken a lot about almost the knowledge needed for accessibility. I think we do need these kind of employees, these officers, to grab hold of accessibility and make it their own and um, make sure your company is not breaking the Equality Act, but also looking at the amount of disabled employees you have customers and making the world a much better place. We've proven that we can adapt and we can be flexible throughout the pandemic,
0: but why can't we do the same for disability? Sophie, it's been the most incredible conversation. Not only have you given us compelling reasons for change in the conversation about the Equality Act, you've reminded us that at a time when we've been through such extraordinary corporate change, that we can certainly continue that journey. Accessibility matters, and I love your point about accessibility officers. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. My second guest today is Christiana Link. Christiana Link is the founder and director of Ortega Link, an inclusion and accessibility consultancy. She was a journalist for more than 20 years, originally from Germany, and worked for leading British and German news companies, even starting her own German language newspaper. She loves to travel and as a wheelchair user herself, is passionate about access to transport for all. And in accordance with this belief, she started her own consultancy to enable the customer experience for disabled passengers. She has developed disability equality training strategies for major airlines, airports, transport providers, and supported organizations of all sizes to think about and truly improve their customer experience for disabled people all around Europe and the UK. Christiana, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be in this podcast. Fabulous. Listen, I can't wait to get into the conversation. But first of all, tell me, what are you focused on right now? At the moment, I'm very much focused on railway, actually. So
2: I'm having a strong aviation background. So I had a lot of airports and airlines before. At the moment, I work with, a, with big transport providers to improve their accessibility and inclusion for disabled passengers because I think it is really, really important that everyone can travel when and how
0: they want. And that includes, of course, disabled people. Well let's get straight into it. When you talk about you know kind of access and availability of transport for all as well, this comes down to customer experience ultimately. And I'm really keen to hear your thoughts about why paying attention to this customer service really matters, particularly right now. And then also, because we've got a financial services audience, is, you know, what can the banks and financial institutions learn from this? I strongly believe that mobility is a human
2: right. It is very important for everyone to have access to mobility because it opens up so many areas in life, from employment to leisure to meeting friends, having a social life and so on, and staying active when you are older. So especially in an environment like London, not having access to public transport is a serious issue. So it is really important that people can travel and can actually participate in life. And I always say disabled customers are the canary in the coal mine. If you get it right for disabled customers, you get it right for everyone. They are the first people who will notice if something's not right in your organization if your customer experience needs improvement because they rely on staff often, they need maybe some guidance, some assistance. And if you get it right for disabled customers and they are an important and big customer group, very often underestimated how big this group is, you get it right for everyone. But of course, why would someone say, I'm not interested in every fifth customer I could have because they are disabled. That doesn't also make no sense from a business perspective. So I think there are so many reasons why disabled customers should really be a focus of every organization, also to get it right for every other customer. Because we as disabled people realize pretty early if customer service, customer experience is in a good place or if it needs improvement. Long before most of the non-disabled people, if something is wrong with the organization. And I think it is important for organizations to notice that as early as possible. So focus on disabled customers and you will learn something.
0: Wonderful, And, and so tell us about best practice. You know, when you look at organizations that have really got this down well, keen to hear what we can learn from others. My experience is
2: that an organization and customer service is only as good as they are in crisis. I had a horrible experience. I got stranded in 2019 for five and a half hours on a train because of this electricity issue they had in summer 2019. So everyone could leave the train except me. But even so, that was a horrible experience. train staff, the onboard staff, they were so good and so nice to me and really tried to make that as nice as that possibly could. They cooked dinner for me because it was so long. I had to wait until we could move again. They cooked dinner for me. They served me every drink I wanted to have. And they were just very, very nice. Even so, that was an Normally unpleasant experience. Nobody wants to get stranded on a train for five and a half hours. This made a difference. I will never forget that day, but not in a negative way, but in a positive way. How good this staff was, and I tell this in every training and and talk I give. You can make the difference if you treat disabled people with respect in a crisis. Then you know your staff is well trained.
0: So can we explore that a little bit further? So when we think particularly around the pandemic crisis and people now are thinking about return to work policies and what they could have learned during the pandemic in thinking about their disabled customers and also employees, that to recognise that actually some best practice has revealed itself, that they should embed in their return to work strategies as well. Yeah, it was quite interesting to see. I mean, for decades, or at least since
2: internet is a thing, disabled people were asking to be able to work more flexible, to work from home, to attend a conference online, and so on. And that was always rejected. And on the day where non-disabled people couldn't go into the office because we had corona this was all not a problem. And I think we really have to learn a lesson where the priorities are and to make things happen. I think whenever we speak about inclusion, it is not about window dressing. I think really people have to understand that is actually making things possible and do the work. So not just talk the talk, walk the walk, and it is work. You have to put some effort in it and you might need to change your processes and so on. at the end, in the end, everyone will benefit from it because you get very loyal employees, and you get overall a welcoming company culture, which should be the aim for every organization, really, who wants to work in a toxic environment. And um, yeah, but making things possible—that what we can definitely learn. From corona, we made a lot of things possible overall in the work world, in the in the business world. So why can't we be more flexible and more hands-on in the future as well? And I think disabled people would benefit from it massively.
0: It's really important, isn't it? And I and I think sort of immediately when you talk about that in terms of thinking about digital access and thinking about, of course, you said it, I, you know, the, the internet has been an amazing enabler in enabling people to continue to do the jobs they need to do remotely. But I'd also like nice to talk about just general accessibility as well. I know that's something you think about in terms of partly the workplace and organisational structures and buildings as we're returning into them, but also in terms of what financial services firms could be thinking about as well. Yeah, I think, and the, uh... In the past 10 years, web accessibility is a huge focus
2: and it is important because it really opens up, especially financial services, banking services for blind and visually impaired customers, but also for for people which might have difficulties going to their bank branch and it's just unnecessary anymore, but they might use assistive devices. So if the website is not written to a certain standard, then they will struggle to use the service in the first place, which makes no sense. And there are thousands of other reasons why websites should be accessible. And the experience in the past 10 years, especially for blind people, and when they wanted to use their bank services, for my partner is blind, for example, and he asked his bank, couple of years ago if he could get his bank statement as a pdf i mean today that sounds like yeah that's something they could do and uh, they said no no we only offer braille so but braille is only 10 percent of all blind people can read braille because most of them become blind during their life so they had some solution but they never looked into if that is really the solution the customer wants it was more like a box ticking exercise without thinking if that is really what is needed by 90% of blind people or if just providing a pdf would be much easier when he can you where he can use his screen reader on his own computer and go through the statement as people who can see as well and and funny enough, the same banks, my feeling is a bit the same banks who struggled to provide accessible services 10 years ago are now struggling to keep their normal customer base because they struggle in general to listen to their customers early and then act on it. So this simple example with can I please have a PDF? And my statement as a PDF 10 years ago shows if they would have listened that is a demand for everyone wants to have their statement in PDF. It's normal now. Nobody would even question that anymore. But no, my partner never got his statement as a PDF because of this inflexibility. And I think that's exactly what I've meant before. These have customers are the canary in the coal mine. Serve them and you serve everyone.
0: It's really interesting listening to you talk because I mean, I chair so many discussions about well, financial organizations and also many in the world of fintech and, and financial services talking about customer-centric strategies, customer experience, user experience, but actually how much is at the very, very heart of the reality of the user yeah. experience, which is really fascinating to hear you talk about that as well.
2: It's always linked to operations. So very often um, there are brilliant strategies written, and I have nothing against strategies. You need a strategy, but then you have to deliver them. And that is where a lot of organizations are failing because the practical approach is then missing. So what is actually what will the customer see? Is that good enough? Is that really what the customer wants or not? And um, that's where the real work starts then. And I think that is the whole discussion about inclusion. We have to do the real work, not just the strategy papers
0: and to think about the disability requirements early not at the end of the journey absolute right it makes no
2: sense especially in in times where we have an aging population to think oh that is just we are just serving a minority that is not true today it is quite a large group and people have also non-visible impairments that's why we have the wrong impression That disabled people are a small minority. Not everyone is a wheelchair user, but if you get it right for wheelchair users, you get it right for a lot of people who might struggle with with steps as well. So get it right for them. And we have an aging population, so we really have to think hard about how service in general, and if that is in public transport, if that is in finance, if that is in retail, will look like in the future if if we don't want to lose this customer group. And basically, I think we even can't afford that because this group becomes so big now. Businesses have to change their strategies if they want to be future proof.
0: And imagine the economic contribution. I mean, imagine the potential to launch and drive businesses and imagine the potential to fund and invest them and to enable all the banking services that go around that as well. Really, and really that, interesting. And that's another aspect. Disappear customers are very loyal customers as well. If you get it
2: right, they stay. So I, I can give you an example from my, out of my own life. I travel quite a lot and I love to try new hotels. But as older as I get, I get less adventurous, I must say. And then I stay with a hotel. If I know they have a decent accessible room, the surroundings are okay, and the staff is well-trained and and just delivers good customer service, I will stay there for years. I travel to Berlin, if we don't have Corona, four times a year minimum. Um, I have one hotel now. They have the customer for life because they have a great room and they were amazing. And I was so tired of bad hotel rooms, bad designed hotel rooms when it comes to accessibility that I saw this new hotel and I, when I was in Berlin and I just went to the reception and asked them, can I have a look at your hotel room? Because I might stay there in, in four weeks time. I'm here again in Berlin. They were amazing. They didn't find that weird. They fully understood why I was asking that. So they showed me every single accessible room they had. I made a note of the best room, which suits my needs best. And I booked this room now, I think, to the end of my life because the stuff was so nice and the stay itself was great as well. That is what I mean with with loyalty. If you get it right once and you're serving this customer well in the future, you might Keep them forever.
0: Really interesting. Thank you so much for your thoughts of that. And I was just thinking about, you know, because so much of this is very, and it sounds like an obvious thing to say, okay, but this is very human-centric conversation, yeah. human-centered conversation. Absolutely. I want to really talk about, if we could just pivot the conversation slightly into the conversation about talent, disabled talent. You know, this is a talent pool that I fundamentally believe is untapped. And I would love to hear your thoughts about what organizations should be thinking about in terms of the processes of recruiting disabled people. What can we be do to improving? Where should we be looking to find our talent? And what are businesses at risk of overlooking? I have a very strong opinion
2: on that because I think what organizations at the moment don't realize is that there's a lot of window dressing going on. And in fact, they alienate disabled people with window dressing approaches if they don't treat disabled customers well, they will never cause an interest in getting them as employees. I think that is a totally misunderstood way. It is not just there's this this initiatives which lights buildings once a year purple. That says to me, just to make people wear they are disabled people. I don't even understand what they actually want to say to start with. But it shows to me as a potential disabled employee, we are window dressing. So it has the totally opposite effect to me personally. It's just my personal opinion. I think what's really important is to see organisations targeting disabled customers, valuing, appreciating disabled customers because even if these people are not customers themselves, they witness that, they notice that, and say, that's a great organization, I want to work for them. And then, and they feel so there is a huge barrier because of the experience of discrimination in the past to apply for, especially I think for big organizations and a lot of disabled people even expect to get discriminated, even if they get an interview it is so bad. The situation is so bad. And I think it is really important to get the message right in general as an organization. So not doing inclusion, whatever, posts on LinkedIn or something like that, that doesn't convince me, I must say. I want to see what you're actually doing. Tell me how many of your offices are wheelchair accessible? How many disabled people are already working for you? That's an interesting information. And welcome me in the job description already. So not just this standard sentence, we welcome applications, everyone has that. And then in fact, no, that doesn't mean that you're actually welcoming. What does it actually mean? How should I know if that is actually true or if that just looks nice or something like that. So I think, again, we are at this topic, walk the walk, show that you are an inclusive organization, Um, offer accessible events, make your website accessible, use the right tone and the right language, stop being patronizing to customers and also disabled employees or applicants That will all make the the huge difference. It is not done with posting on LinkedIn, we are inclusive and we want to see more disabled people in the organization. I'm afraid that is not enough. I'm a big fan of of events. So a lot of organizations have now started to kind of recruitment events, especially for potential disabled employees. And I think I find this very important because that is a chance. the organization can actually show and really present what they have already done and this lowers the barrier massively for disabled people to come forward and say well i either consider a job change or i consider applying in the first place or whatever it is i think that is a really really good tool where employers can can show what they have done and what their culture is but again no window dressing at this event either. It will not work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because a lot of the banks and financial institutions will have these big job fair days. What we're saying is basically think about that in a slightly different way and think about job fair days for people with disability. I think that's, that's amazing. I, you know, I love this because not only does it completely support what I hold to be very true, which is you know, when t- window dressing is one thing. What's the lived reality? And the lived reality is experienced by your customers and your employees, hands down. And that's, you know, the number one opinion to pay attention to with this. But also the fact that it's very practical and we love it when our listeners can go away and really think about things they could do tomorrow. And I'd love to ask you another question as well, which is, you know, where should we go to educate ourselves? What websites, books, resources would you recommend we call upon?
2: There is so much Around. I think what is really lacking at the moment is that, yeah, I would even call it the disability culture is understood. There's something like the disability movement, but nobody is actually talking about that. And that lets two organizations really don't understand who we are, especially the younger, middle aged, disabled people becoming more and more confident and they expect service. And that is a good thing. So, honestly, I think the best source for me personally, but what I would recommend is go on Twitter. The disability community is on Twitter. That's where they communicate with each other, especially when, in, especially about transport, but also other areas. You will find the most shocking experience on Twitter, but you can learn from it as well. And if I would have to pick one book I've read last year, I would recommend to read the autobiography of Judith Heumann and the title is Being Human, so Heumann, human, Heumann. And uh, she is, basically, she's the mother of the ADA in the US and she explains very well what battles they had to fight for equality and, and what the disability movement is and how empowering this community can be for me it is a community but I think it is also important for businesses to understand the culture behind it That is not about pity it is really about encouraging people empowering people and the time of pity is over I always say actually pity
0: is the worst enemy of good customer experience could not agree more could not agree more so i i sort of think a lot at the moment about you know these are changing times you know we've talked about the return to work we've talked about you know, kind of what organizations are thinking about as they come out of the pandemic well, so one of the things i've been sort of thinking about as we're going through interesting changing economic times and we have talked about the return to work we've talked about you know kind of customer experience and how people are now experiencing financial services and all manner of services from organizations as well but i do worry that the conversation about diversity and inclusion kind of fall down the agenda particularly when we're paying attention to tough times i would love to hear your compelling reasons as we wrap out the show today about why this conversation about diversity and inclusion really matters right now.
2: I think it's very much linked to um, how society looks like today. I think no business can afford anymore, even in bad times, to exclude disabled people. There are a customer group which is underserved, underestimated, and that is a chance. If there are so many gaps in the market when it comes to disabled people, and good customer experience. That doesn't have to be a special product or anything like that. You just have to have this group in mind when when building projects and, and, and develop products and whatever it is. Yeah, it, it is just good for the economy as well to serve this group. It makes no sense not to serve them. It is absolutely, that would be the same as saying, oh, we ignore women. So why would you do that? That makes no sense. And, and these other people have buying power. Their family has buying power. And I, I I closed a current account years ago. And that was the first current account I ever had in the UK because the bank had a battle against an 18-year-old wheelchair user because the branch was not accessible and they've lost the case. So... I closed the current account. I'm now 20 or 15 years older. I have a good income. They lost me forever. It makes no
0: sense. It really makes no sense not to serve this pool. Christiane, I think it's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed that. And as always, thank you to all our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I have. And we look forward to bringing you another episode of the Diversity Podcast
1: this episode of diversity podcast was produced by me kieran yates on behalf of julia streets productions thanks to cynthia akinsania for her insights you can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website diversitypodcast.com and that's diversity with a c not an s Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod.
2: Thanks for listening.